The Hammer, Chapter 3 The bang of the screen door jolted Corvin awake. He blinked and looked at his window. There was no jagged rip. It had just been another bad dream. Voices floated up from the kitchen. Mother and father had returned, and judging from the light coming in his window, the day was almost gone. He rolled over, and the handle of the hammer jabbed into his ribs. Grunting, he pulled it out and examined it. He thought about taking it with him to show his father, but decided to leave it under his pillow for the time being. Where were you? his mother asked as he entered the tiny kitchen. I thought you wanted to go to town with us. I need to talk to Dad. What about? Nothing, I just need... If it's nothing, it can wait till you fill the firebox. I'll do it later. Do you know how many times I've heard that? Corvin nodded. I know. I'm sorry. I really will do it just as soon as I talk with Dad. Mother stopped what she was doing and just looked at him a moment. She nodded. He's working on the truck. His father was leaning under the hood of the truck, looking at the dipstick. Hasn't lost a drop since the last oil change. I think the old girl will still be going when you take her over. He smiled at Corvin as he replaced the stick. Corvin leaned on the fender. His father took the air filter apart and wiped the inside, seemingly oblivious to the tension his son was feeling. I lied to you. There, he'd said it. I know. Father straightened and looked at him. Would you like to talk about it? Corvin nodded. The dinner bell rang on the back porch. Father pushed the hood shut. After supper, I'll meet you out at the rock. Their eyes met briefly, then they walked in silence around to the back porch to wash up. After supper was over, Corvin filled the wood box while his father helped to do the dishes. His dad nodded at him to go ahead without him. No doubt he wanted to talk to his mother about what was going on. The long, cool shadows of the aspen trees were creeping across the yard. The North Star shone alone in the darkening sky, but the warmth of the day still clung to the autumn air. Leaving the yard behind, he approached the rock. It always looked so mysterious at twilight, as if it were the grave of an ancient warrior king, waiting to rise and lead his people into battle. His father said the rock was a sacred place to the people who once lived in the area. They believed the rock had the power to protect them from their enemies, but in the end they were defeated. It was a steep climb up the south side of the rock that faced their home, but Corvin knew every foothold like the stairs to his own bedroom. Reaching the top, he leaned back against the wall of rocks, like a king surveying his domain. Their home was one of two farms located adjacent to their small town. The other belonged to Mr. Fry. Corvin's home was north of town at the end of a long tree-lined lane that pushed the house far out into a sea of grain. His father liked being separated from the town and always kept his gate closed and locked. Corvin couldn't see why he bothered. There were no sheds full of machinery and no barn. Their property didn't even have any grain bins. People joked that they just grew big rocks on their farm. The yard was bounded by twin rows of trees, one line of tall aspens and another thick screen of spruce. In the center of this living wall of green was their home, the guard tower, as his grandfather had named it. It was a fitting name, for it was a small square structure, two stories high, with a pointed roof, and it was the only home in town made of thick stone blocks. It had been built long before the surrounding area was settled. A history professor from the university in the city wanted to see it, but his dad wouldn't let him in. The rest of the houses were clustered along three wide gravel roads that run parallel to the railway tracks. All in all, his town had one grain elevator, one corner gas station, two vacant lots, and 75 houses of various types and sizes. The total population was 257. Most of them worked in the city of Fenwood, 15 miles past the railway crossing. Corvin didn't like the city. It made him feel even smaller and less important. 
Corvin entered the gap in the rocks and turned to look across at his bedroom window. His father had told him that his grandfather had cut that one stone out of the circle and had rolled it into the center. Corvin's father told him that the remaining twenty boulders in the circle were not separate rocks, but had actually been cut out of the crown of the hill. He told Corvin to keep it a secret, as he didn't want people from the university poking around. Corvin turned and stepped into the castle. The water had drained from the center of the rocks, leaving a soggy patch where he'd found the hammer. A crusty mass of tarp and broken boards lay drying in the mud. The fire pit still had a puddle in it. Their campfire would have to be built on the western slope. Corvin walked through the circle and out the other gap that faced the setting sun. There had never been a rock in this space. This opening led to the worn path that dropped down the western slope. He kicked at the dirt and sand that had accumulated in the space. No wonder the water had risen so high. He needed to dig that debris out so the water could flow down the channel again. His father's song rose strong and clear on the wind as he approached the rock. This time Corbin thought he understood a few words, something about truth and freedom. Father carried something wrapped in an old blanket and an armful of firewood. He set them on the ground. How about getting things set up in the castle while I go get a bit more wood? I think we might have enough if we use the broken boards from our fort. It got knocked flat in the storm. Corbin gestured toward the circle. His father took a look. I see what you mean. The fire pit's too wet. Let's build our fire on the west edge. I'll pick up some of this while you get the fire ready. Corvin arranged the firewood his father had brought up. As his dad came through the gap in the castle rocks with a few more boards, the last rays of the day captured a noble look on his face, like a wise sage about to embark on an important quest. His father brought the boards over and retrieved a pack of matches from his pocket. A moment later, flickering flames lit the craggy features of his face. The wood crackled and they sat looking into the flames for a long while before father spoke. There is a lot of pain in this broken world, son. Some people want to avoid it, but they don't realize that pain and love go side by side. If you try to escape pain, you will miss the opportunity to love. Corvin nodded. He knew about pain. I am proud of you for telling me about your lie. It shows me you are beginning to understand what it takes to be a leader. Corvin's chest swelled with pride. He'd done something right for a change. Perhaps there was hope for him after all. Now he just needed to tell his dad about the mysterious black hammer. I want to tell you about last night. His father did not respond. He just leaned back and looked into the sky. Can you imagine not seeing a single star in your lifetime? Never enjoying the vastness of a night sky or feeling the pull of a full moon. Corvin shook his head. Father continued. There was a time when our people did not see these things. Our people? His grandfather only had one son and his mother didn't have any living relatives. Father leaned forward. I'm not sure where I should begin or how much I'm supposed to tell you. He paused, as though searching for the answers to his own questions. Corvin had expected his dad to speak to him about lying or to question him about what he'd found. This didn't make any sense. His father unwrapped the blanket from around a black wooden box. The firelight flickered across the polished surface as if it were on fire. Was this an early birthday present his parents had picked up in town? He glanced up to find his father studying him. Your grandfather left this with me. I made the case to keep it safe for you. I'm not as good with wood as he was. But you can make just about anything out of metal. Sometimes when I lay on the rock, I feel you pounding on stuff in the cellar. His father's eyes narrowed. You can feel that out here? Corvin nodded. Then the cellar has to be connected to this hill. I thought so. 
I really felt it the night of the storm, like you'd set off an explosion down there. His father looked like a boy caught stealing apples, and a small, proud smile crinkled the corners of his eyes. I've been working on something down there, so you need to stay out of the cellar a bit longer. I'll show it to you after your birthday, and no using the dumbwaiter for a peek, either. His father smiled at him, and Corvin grinned back. Exactly why his grandfather had built the small elevator that connected the cellar to the kitchen was a mystery, but Corvin could easily crouch inside it and move himself up and down without having to go outside. He glanced over at the castle rocks. Your grandfather was supposed to be here on your birthday to tell you everything you need to know. He didn't tell me very much about it. He looked up into the sky a long moment and a tear trickled down his cheek. He was gone so often and he and I never talked that much even when he was around. Corvin shifted nervously. He'd never seen his father cry. All he told me was that you would need this some day. He tapped a finger on the black case. He must have it, he told me, when he is ready, for this one is the core van. The way his father said his name, pausing in the middle and stressing the last syllable, made Corvin's skin prickle. He pulled his jacket tightly about him. The shadows grew blacker and he leaned in toward the fire. It was he who named you, his father said softly. Your mother had picked a different name, but he insisted on Corvin. If he was right, you will know soon, for your day is almost here. He looked intently into Corvin's eyes as the shadows flickered about them. Do you remember the story of this rock? The story of the betrayal and the final battle? Father nodded. Their leader worked hard to instruct others in the old ways but not all would follow. There are always those who want power over others. The old ways leave no room for that. In the end, the people were outnumbered and wiped out, except for one warrior. The one who built the castle, right? Oh no, that part of the legend is not true. The circle of rocks goes back much farther than him or his tribe. It started eons ago, back with the lost people. Who? His father frowned. I'm not sure what to tell you. I'm not completely sure what I believe myself. He stared beyond the fire at the castle, then turned back to look intently into Corvin's eyes. One thing I do know is that your future is tied to that stone circle. The dinner bell on the back porch echoed off the rocks. His father looked up. Your mother must need to talk to me. It sounds urgent. He wrapped the wooden case back in the blanket. I'll show you this another time, definitely before your birthday. Your grandfather made me promise I would give it to you before your 15th year began. He said you would be old enough to choose between fear and duty by then. He stood. You proved him right today. Corvin knew he was telling this to make him feel better, but instead he found his stomach churning. The thought of becoming an adult held no attraction for him. The future held many things to worry about. The only positive part about turning 15 was being allowed to grow his hair out as a sign of his new adult status. He hoped that without a crew cut, he would look a little less like a child and some of the teasing would go away. They left the dying fire and returned to the house. On the porch, they stopped and looked back. The flickering embers and wisps of smoke gave the rock the appearance of a smoldering volcano teetering on the edge of a major eruption. Inside the house, they paused at the foot of the stairs. Father put a hand on his shoulder. Corvin looked up into his eyes. They were full of sadness. His dad patted his back and entered his own bedroom to talk with Corvin's mother. Back upstairs, Corvin lay on his bed beside the hammer. 
Was it connected to the thing in the black box? If so, how did the hammer end up under the hill? He touched a cool stone, and a soft blue glow from strange markings on the butt end of the handle sprang to life. He yanked his hand away. Was it going to shock him again? The light ebbed away, but as soon as he touched it, the blue markings came back to life. He leaned in closer. The light came from an insignia, a ring within a ring, with strange figures between the two. Corvin threw back the covers. He knew that design. The markings on the hammer were identical to those on the oak chest in the corner of his room. Swung his legs over the side of the bed, just as the phone rang. The light in the stairwell went on, and he heard his father pick up the phone. There was a short, muffled conversation, then father hung up. He heard his mother's voice, the scraping of chairs, and water being poured. They were settling in at the table for a talk. The glow from the hammer filled Corvin's bedroom with waves of blue light, as if his room were suddenly underwater. Corvin pointed the hammer like a flashlight across his room to light up the front of the oak chest. The rings and the strange markings were larger on the front of the chest, and there was a hole in the center, a hole that looked about the same size as the handle of the hammer. His grandfather had made the chest, so maybe he'd also made the stone hammer as some sort of key. Corvin let his feet touch down on the floorboards and froze as they groaned under his weight. There was no way he could make it to the chest without his parents hearing him. He listened carefully. There was a pause in their conversation, and then the back screen door squeaked and banged. Corvin quickly pulled himself back into bed and pushed the hammer under his pillow. One of them must be heading for the outhouse. He couldn't have them see his room full of blue light. He would have to wait for them to go to bed before checking out the chest. He turned onto his back, folding his hands over the hammer on his chest, and stared up at the ceiling. There was lots to think about. He was happy that he and his father had a chance to talk, but there were so many more questions he needed to ask him. He tried to make mental note of everything he wanted to ask his father tomorrow, but found himself nodding off to sleep.